What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Adios, old friend. Yeah, I've got no secrets and no regrets. Well, a lot of regrets, but the point is I've got nothing to hide. Kind of like the way Progressive shows you their competitors' rates. You gotta put it all out there, baby. Excuse me, miss. Does this heart belong to you? Would you like it anyway? Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparisons not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Ah, the copperhead snake. It hisses before attacking. But that's not a copperhead. That's the Sullivan's RV freshwater tank overflowing into their black one, which is backing into their vent pipe, making for a very different kind of attack. One that arrives just in time for taco night. It's wild out there. When it gets too wild, Progressive has your RV covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where March Madness is upon us in more ways than one. And for the Lakers, instead of one shining moment, Luther Vandross, it's feeling more like one last cry, Brian McKnight. (laughs) (laughs) Great throwback R&B jam, by the way. Uh, Anyway, forget architecting the future. Palinka may end up having to deconstruct the present first before he even gets to phase one of the new era. So yeah, you know, obviously we're just a few days removed from some promising proclamations of a new day with Palinka's press conference on Friday, and unfortunately we're back to checking if people's eyeballs are still intact. So 
Alan, how are you doing on the gouged eyeballs barometer? Well, thankfully, I took my contacts out last night, put my eyeglasses on. So there's like this shield in front of my eyeballs. It was just kind of hard to gouge through that. Uh, so instead, I just punched myself in the face a couple times and it was all good. Okay, well, there you go. You're getting pretty close to that level, though. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight's show is brought to you by SteinerSports.com, the leading provider of hand-signed memorabilia and collectibles on the internet. If you use the promo code ALMIGHTY2017 at checkout, you will receive 20% off all your purchases. So make sure to splurge now and buy up all the hand-signed Derek Character Lakers gear you can now. Oh, Shout out to Derek, Derek Character. Character. I saw him in yeah. Summer League in Vegas. <laughs> Yeah, man, I thought that guy was the next Elton Brand. Woo! <laughs> Unfortunately, that never ended up panning out, so wah, wah, wah. Also, please follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes, because the more you rate and review us, that's how many more times D'Angelo will let the ball skip down the floor and then inadvertently skip over himself and then fall on the floor in utter and complete shame. But then he'll get back up and score 50 points right after that. I realized that wasn't a very promising incentive. So, yeah, if he does, the, if you do that, <laughs> if you rate interview us, he's going to do that stupid, silly little shacked in a fool thing. But then he'll score 50 points right after. So please rate interview us on iTunes. That's all it takes, dude. I will gladly watch him kick the ball out of bounds every single game. Maybe twice in a game. Then I'll hit 100. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I feel like that play, sadly, if that wasn't a microcosm of the season or even his career in general, I don't I don't know what is. But let's just hope it doesn't happen again. Hey, at least it'll take away from all the cell phone talk. Exactly. You're right. Snapchat cell phone. Also, Alan, what have you been wearing to bed recently? <laughs> <laughs> what shirt do you typically wear? As I guess what I, what I was getting. Oh, man, this is this is hilarious. Um so everyone on here maybe not everyone a lot of people know that jonathan tommy and i were all in marching band when we attended arcadia high school in southern california and uh we used to get these we used to get these shirts every year that we're supposed to wear to rehearsals and things like that they're they're like a cardinal maroonish color and it has like the arcadia logo uh so i have like a bunch of those so that is what i wear to sleep well guess what i think i have a better shirt for you my brother my friend <laughs> Because I've got a much softer alternative, and it comes in the form of a Lakers Legacy It's Lit LA Lakers Legacy podcast t-shirt. And I just got my black tri-blend It's Lit LA shirt in the mail last night. And man, they they are just as soft as the Flash the Progress Brandon Ingram ones that you felt on Friday. Uh, I felt it. And how soft it was? As soft as my ass. There you go. As soft as Alan's ass. These shirts, they're pretty much an Ivica Zubats post shot. So soft. So much touch. <laughs> it is indeed lit in its softness. So if you want to win a Flash the Progress shirt or an It's Lit LA shirt, and you can go on our timeline and check out the designs of those shirts, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also retweet our episode 112 with Drew Hanlon, which is pinned to the top of our timeline. And then also quote our original t-shirt contest tweet, which you can find on our timeline because I've retweeted it a bunch of times. And then use hashtags It's Lit LA and Flash the Progress along with your quoted tweet. And if you're feeling extra frisky and want an extra entry, please also rate and review us on iTunes. And then screenshot that review to us, whether it's a review that you did for us in the past or a brand new one. And you'll get two entries into our Lakers Legacy t-shirt drawing contest, which will end April 1st. So yes, if you want a new soft-ass sleeping shirt, 
It's Lit LA or Flash the Progress. Please join our t-shirt contest now. So yeah, before we get into our show, we just want to preface the fact that something happened with regards to our recording software. Um, We had to make some updates and right now we're still troubleshooting the audio quality. So Tommy and Alan's end will be a little fuzzy and might be kind of off. So please bear that in mind. And uh, Tommy's going to join us for the rest of our show pretty much in our next segment, just talking about Rob Palinka, talking about Luke Walton's weird decision to bench D'Angelo Russell and start Clarkson. And I guess just what we're looking forward to to close the season out and where we see this Tankapalooza type Lakers season headed, I guess. So with that said, we will shift it to our segment with Tommy. He's going to be talking to us from the car. And like I said, Audio quality is going to be a little off from Tommy and Alan's end. So, Alan, apologize. I am very sorry. There you go. All right. Catch you guys on the turn. I don't, uh, it's bad. The sound is bad, really bad. I, uh, there, I there's cannot be here. Okay, so one of the news items from today that we learned about, which ha- which is not really news, but I guess the Lakers today officially announced that the- they are pretty much deactivating Timothy Mozgov for the rest of the season. Like I said, it's not real news, but I think the fact that they're making it official is interesting. Uh, Tommy, what do you think about this move? And I guess the same could be said about Dang and Swaggy P soon as well. Do you think it indicates anything with regards to Palinka? I have my own thoughts, but yeah, what do you think about them being so official about deactivating their veterans? I don't think it has anything to do with Palinka per se, but I I think that uh, it makes sense. I mean, we have multiple guys who could play the five theoretically. Like we. We have Zubac and uh, Zubats and Black for sure who can do it and have been doing a good job there. Um, and then we have obviously Randall and Nance who can play some in small ball lineups. And then we even have uh, Thomas Robinson on our deep bench who's like, I know he's not as young as some of our other young guys, but maybe they still want to take a, a look at him. And and so I just think that it makes too much sense to just uh, put Zubats on the inactive list. Uh but I don't know. I mean, I'm interested to hear your theory, actually, because I, I, my initial reaction was no association with Palenka or anything. So maybe this is reading too much into it. But in, in my opinion, this would have never happened under Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss and or Byron Scott, because I think this is lending itself to a brand new era because Rob Palenka, if you remember, is not tied to this team whatsoever. And if you're looking at it that way, he's not tied to these stupid signings. He's not even tied to our draft picks. So there's no need or obligation on his part to justify anything, right? In fact, he may even be wanting to distance distance himself from Jim Buss and Mitch even more by emphasizing the fact that what a stupid signing this was. So by him saying like, hey, right. let's just deactivate Mozgov, let's deactivate Dang and have people remind people these were Jim and Mitch signings. It might even be a better thing for him, like optically, right? So I feel like this is, and I think the young guys should take note of this because they have to remind themselves. You know, D'Angelo said a little bit when Magic Johnson became the president of basketball operations that they have to step their game up. Well, they also have to worry about Rob Palenka because Rob Palenka did not draft any of these guys, you know? Uh, It's a much different feeling when the GM handpicks uh, specific lotto picks because they're going to just naturally give them more time, be more patient, but they have to realize, hey man, D'Angelo wasn't Palenka's pick, Randall wasn't Palenka's pick, not even Ingram was Palenka's pick. So they're easily expend- more expendable. I, I, w- I wouldn't say easily expendable, but definitely more expendable because Rob Palenka wasn't here when those guys got drafted. So 
I just I just feel like, hey, these guys really, really better step up. If if they weren't feeling it before, they better feel it now. And so that's why games like the Denver game are inexcusable. They can no longer have these nights off anymore because the rest of the season, whatever 15, 17 games are left, they better really show what they've got because they could easily be traded. You know, we don't know what Palinka is going to do. Obviously, he said the right things in terms of we're going to give the young guys a shot. We have quality young guys. But because he's not emotionally or otherwise tied to these guys whatsoever, we honestly don't know what could happen. So thoughts on that angle? Yeah, no, I think that's a very good point. It's well taken. Um, I think your point is especially well taken given our con- the context of our team which is to say that we, our previous, I guess, what, what was Jim's official role, vice president of basketball operations or whatever his role was, he was in particular tied to the guys that he drafted. Uh, we, everybody saw those articles. Oop, you're cutting out I mean, a little. Yeah, we talked about. Okay. What are you talking about? Were you going to talk about uh, Bynum? Yeah, everybody saw those articles about Bynum and how Jim Buss was, like, obsessed with, like, he found this diamond in the rough and that was his project and he wasn't willing to trade him for anyone, even Dwight Howard in his prime. And he had to be, like, talked into it. And it was just, like, so ridiculous, you know what I mean? So Palenka seems like he's much more of a... I hate to use this guy as an example because I criticized him a lot over the years, but he seems much more of, like, a Sam Hinkie in terms of, like... He's going to make a decision. He's going to like thoughtfully and carefully consider the effects of his decision. And he's not going to be afraid to cut his losses if he acknowledges himself that, hey, I made the wrong decision. So like not to point out anyone specific, but if there's if there's someone like that that he sees on our roster, like, hey, we can hold on to this guy and like maybe he'll continue to get better. But the signs are pointing towards this might not be the right guy fit for us. Uh, let's move him. Yeah. Alan, what about you? Yeah, with regards to officially saying that Mozgov is deactivated for the year, um, yeah, I, I, I could definitely see your point, Jonathan. At first I was going to say, you know, if it were still Jim and Mitch, I don't think Luke would be playing him at all, though, you know? Yeah. It's just making that a public statement. Um, that is something that I guess does have to come from the front office. It's not like Luke is going to tell the uh, PR people, okay, make sure this gets out there. Yeah. That does come from up top. So uh, there's definitely that influence and them wanting to be very definitive and transparent as well. Uh, and I suppose if you're Timofey Mozgov, even though he could assume he isn't going to play for the rest of the year, you want to know sure. like 100% what is going down, right? So if you see this, it's okay, well, there it is. It's plain as day. I don't have to be guessing one night if I'm going to have to come in if Zubots is in foul trouble, you know, or something like that. Because we've already seen that this year when Zubots had that quad contusion. Uh, Timofey had to play a little bit. So we don't have that ambiguity anymore. Um, and yeah, as far as everything else you guys said with regards to being emotionally tied or invested in any of the guys on this team, I agree. And D'Angelo alluded to it and said, um, his comparison was really funny. He said, it's like when you're at a game with your parents and every time you say something, you're kind of looking over your shoulder, um, to see if they're like hearing what you're saying or something like that. So again, that doesn't, that's not like super clear, but what he's saying is, yeah, they're definitely watching. And we need to be, like, at our best at all times. And at any organization you're at, if there's a change in management or leadership, of course you need to be at your best because they don't know you and they need to take a look for themselves through their own 
lens as to whether you fit what they're trying to do. Hopefully you've been playing your best all along anyway, so there really isn't a change in your approach or your intensity, but we're all human, and of course that's going to happen. Yeah, and I'd imagine, obviously, if we keep our top three pick and Palinka picks Markel Fultz, obviously a guy like that that he handpicked, that he hand-researched and delved deeply into, he's going to give that guy a lot more time, you know? But like guys like D'Angelo, guys like Randall, guy, they really have to be on their P's and Q's moving forward. And really consider this last 15 to 17 games almost like an audition. Obviously, they don't want to psych themselves out, but they do really need to take this more seriously than I think they have been. I think they've been saying the right thing so far, but even w- even in scenarios where it's a back-to-back in Denver, they, they just have to show a lot more energy than that. So um, obviously I don't want to read too much, too deeply into things, but like you said, Alan, you know, this could be just the new stance of management to be more transparent about things and communicate properly to the players what's really going on. And in that respect, I think it's a good thing, like you said, for Timofey Mozgov to know, okay, well, no hard feelings. They already let me know in advance. They're shutting me down. You know, if they do that with Dang and Swaggy, um, they'll probably do the same thing with regards to, uh, you know, publicly stating that in the media. But obviously, like I said, I don't think if Mitch and Jim were here, they would publicly be saying that and publicizing that to people like, hey, our $16 million player is going (laughs) to get shut down. By the way, you've seen him shut down for the last five games or so. We just want to make it even more public. You know what I mean? Yeah, it would be be them eating crow, as you like to say, publicly, which is something that they probably wouldn't do. Yeah, in that respect, they just let Luke Walton do the talking and say, yeah, we're just letting the young guys develop. Whereas Rob Palinka's like, hey guys, new management here. Timothy Mozgov shut down for the season just in case anybody was wondering, even if we have an injury, you know, he's not playing. So I just thought it was an interesting angle. And like I said, regardless of what's really going on here, this is new management. The guys have to be in tip-top shape to close the season. Tommy, any last thing on Palinka? Uh, no, I pretty much agree with the, what you guys said. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see what Polinka is planning here. I mean, it, an, I guess another way even to look at it, I, I think you you guys are pretty much hitting the nail on the head in terms of why this was so public. But if you guys didn't say that, and I was just blindly speculating about other reasons why they might do this, I might think like, okay, uh, when was the last time? I mean, Timothy Timothy Mozgov is not exact. It's not like he exactly has a history of playing entire seasons. Um, mm. So, if I'm Palinka and I'm thinking like, look, it's not like there's a very good chance I'm going to be able to dump this guy, or even Dang, it's not a very good chance I'm going to be able to dump this guy. But these are guys who are like on the older side, like they have a lot of mi- miles on their legs to the extent I get some assets or the right trade comes along and I'm able to dump one of them somehow, it's, it's going to, although their value might be next to zero right now, it's going to be actually zero if they're injured. So true. Might as well just try to keep them healthy and as fresh as as a 30, 31 year old could be. Right. And I think for Palinka, you know, he sees this as he's not trying to save face here with sunken costs like Moz and Dang, obviously, which I think, you know, Mitch, Mitch and Jim might try to do. But uh, like I said, at the end of the day, he doesn't feel the need to justify Moz, Gov and Dang signings. Those weren't his signings. In fact, his main job now is to figure out what the hell to do with them. Right. Whether that's find a trade partner for them somehow or keep them healthy or just really just sit them down so the young guys can play and eat up their contract. Because like we said, the new CBA presents um, some stretch opportunities. We can pretty much spre- stretch both of them. And so he'll use probably the offseason to figure that out more in detail, I guess, and 
figure out where which direction he wants to go. But for now, he sees no re- real reason to continue playing them or even saying that they're active. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Tommy, Luke Walton, last night, tinkering with the lineup. What happened there? What's your theory? Is it really just what he said with regards to, I really just wanted to experiment and tinker. We want to see what Clarkson can do at the point guard spot. Or do you think something went down with regards to D'Angelo Russell's work ethic or practice or whatnot? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I mean, Luke made all these weird cryptic statements about how, like, D'Angelo's been one of our best players in the last couple of weeks, and he's playing really well, and he's doing X, Y, and Z. So then, I don't know, and then he said something along the lines of, like, we want to make sure we're in the best possible position going into this offseason. I think, I think one thing that's definitely happening now is there is an open line of communication between, and a synergy between front office and coaching staff, and We've talked about that before, but I think it's much more open than they're even alluding to in the media. Like Luke said something about like, I make all the coaching decisions and Polinka makes the personnel decisions, but I think it's even much more intertwined than that. And what I mean by that is I'm pretty sure they've openly had this like conference room discussions about like, look, just being realistic in the 55% chance that we keep our draft pick this year, we're most likely going to take a guard. And we have Jordan Clarkson and D'Angelo Russell already on the team. I'm not saying we necessarily have to trade one of those guys if the right deal isn't there. I'm just saying there's a lot of great guards at the top of this draft, and we should know exactly what we have with these two guys so we can, you know, if the, again, if the right trade ar- arises, uh, to move, you know, even to move into the lottery or to, let's say we don't keep our pick, to move into the top 10 or, you know, whatever. We, we should know, you know, is, the, is Jordan Clarkson the starting caliber NBA player? Uh, does D'Angelo, is D'Angelo going to be okay if he's not the main guy or he's coming off the bench or whatever? To be honest, I thought this was more about Jordan, uh, Jordan Clarkson than, than D'Angelo just because... I, I think that as much as the coaching staff likes Clarkson, he's so inconsistent, it's hard to see. And we talk about this all the time. It's kind of hard to see if he can actually be an NBA starter. And then at that point, you start getting into a debate about, like, okay, well, how much time and how much money do we want to dedicate to a guy who's only going to be playing 25, 26 minutes a game for us? So I, I think that's what that was more about, Uh but I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was very, very, very weird. And you can tell that Luke was like really grasping at, at straws trying to figure out how to how to explain that one. Yeah, I did not really agree with it. If he was planning to experiment and tinker, I would have hoped he would have chosen a better game than that one because I felt like he set his team up to fail because there were already so many things working against them going into that Denver game from... You know, they had a bad loss to Philly the night before, second night of a back-to-back on the road, getting in at 3 a.m. at Denver, having to play at higher altitude. And then to make that sort of a shake-up the day of was really peculiar. And I feel like Luke was just asking for it at that point, especially because it's a move that's never happened before when D'Angelo's been healthy this season, right? He's never come off the bench. And to make that move on the second night of a back-to-back against Denver, no less, I was just like... Look, I we were going to lose regardless, and we were probably going to lose by double digits, but Luke was asking to lose by how badly we lost last night. It was a dumpster fire, and 
having Clarkson and Nwamba as the starting backcourt was just really strange. If he was going to put Clarkson in, horrendous. I would have hoped that he would have played Clarkson alongside D'Angelo, you know? So it was just a really peculiar and strange decision to have that clunky-ass lineup in there that didn't have any offensive flow to it. Clarkson didn't know how to get the offense moving or set up, and from there, it was pretty much a lost game from the start. So did you agree with the move? No, I didn't agree with the move at all. And like you you kind of alluded to right there, if anything, we haven't seen a Clarkson-D'Angelo starting lineup yet this year. You know, from like day one, Luke came in with this whole like Clarkson is our bench, Mano Ginobili, you know what I mean? So we kind of had to get used to that at first, like even from the preseason, starting from the preseason. And we never got like a really solid look at those two starting together. Like they definitely have played together, obviously, but... I don't know. It'd be interesting to see, like, if he's going to go through these lengths, why doesn't he just start Clarkson at the one and, like, start D'Angelo at the two and see how that goes, you know? Or, or just play them together in their normal positions. Like, it, it just, like, a lot of it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, and I don't know if he was trying to send a message or what. I can't imagine D'Angelo did anything because it was, like, a back-to-back. Like, they all immediately left the game the night before and got on a plane together and went to the next place. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and... You know, he, he decided, like, very early before the game that that was the lineup. It's not like he decided a minute before. So what could D'Angelo have possibly done in that time? I, I don't think anything. So I, th- I think he literally is just, like, trying to be like, oh, well, we're literally exploring every option. But for God's sake, use some discretion. It's not like we have eight. We, if you were going to do that, like, we should have started 80 games ago. You know, you don't do that, like, when you only have 17 games left and you really need a seriously figure some stuff out in, in involving your main, main core players. But also just don't do it on the second night of a back-to-back in Denver in higher altitude. The guys have just are freaking tired, you know? And then, yeah. you know, maybe he did this because D'Angelo had that really shacked in a full play where he was just letting the ball roll down. And then he was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, he trips over himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, that was such a bad play that it's maybe Luke was like, all right, you're not starting the next game. Alan, I guess to ask you, like, do you think there was anything more to this? Obviously, Luke Walton said, to quote Luke Walton, his explanation was, it was tough because D'Angelo has been playing pretty darn well for us. He's obviously one of the young guys that's a big part of the future. We want to keep his confidence high. But it was something that we felt like we might as well take advantage of the opportunity, which I don't think it was an advantage last night. But obviously, it's not ideal to not be in a playoff race. But because we aren't, we are going to try some things that we normally wouldn't be able to. We're going to look at every opportunity we can to gain an advantage going into the offseason. So, Alan, what do you make of that um, reasoning? Do you take it at face value? Or do you see maybe D'Angelo did do something behind the scenes? Yeah, I think there's got to be something to it um you don't just do something like that if d'angelo is playing so well that you're convinced he's going to be on this team you know like if he were in luke's eyes and in the front office's eyes that good of a player you just leave him there and you don't touch him like there's no question um so this is not to say that they think he's garbage or anything like that but they just aren't convinced yet and that's why I guess they felt comfortable enough to make this type of move. Uh, I don't think his play against Philly helped when he kicked the ball out and then when they had the five seconds on the shot clock play as well. Um, Obviously, it just shows there's no excuse for either one of those, really. Mm -hmm. Even though Luke defended him publicly, those are both mental errors. And, you know, we talk a lot about D'Angelo's kind of public perception and why fans don't like him and he looks too cool for school nonchalant. I mean, unfortunately, he didn't do himself any favors with those two plays. And 
again, we're not there all the time at practice and things like that. We don't know what goes down uh, behind the scenes, per se. Maybe D'Angelo has shown a lack of focus consistently and Luke wanted to send that message, and that's just all speculation. Um, But at the same time, I don't agree (laughs) with having Jordan Clarkson paired with David Nwaba, for sure. That doesn't make any sense to quote our buddy Pete Zay. So I didn't realize we entered the David Nwaba era just now. Um, So I I disagree, like you said, with the timing. It it is far from ideal. It's probably the absolute worst case (laughs) uh, scenario. Um, At the same time, though, if you're Luke, you're like, well, how many games do we have left? Uh, We might as well just do it now. Like, whatever. What's the worst thing that could happen is we're going to get absolutely destroyed. And I mean, shoot, he was right. Maybe he was feeling really optimistic at the moment that things could work out for whatever reason. Um, Like, why wait one game? Might as well just do it now. But with a young team like this, and we, you know, we know Luke understands this because he gets people like they have fragile egos. Uh, D'Angelo did not look right at all yesterday. And uh, he even said himself, I'd be lying if I said that this isn't going to bother me a little bit. It it is pretty weird. So uh, I don't know. Those thoughts are honestly a little bit jumbled right now. But that's kind of how the whole team and the whole fan base is feeling at the moment. Um, I don't know how long this is going to continue either. Like, Are we going to do this again tomorrow against Houston, a really tough team? And uh, if so, how much longer after that? Yeah, and you know, I, I want to remind everyone again that this is Luke's first year as a head coach. He's going to be working through his growing pains. Obviously, D'Angelo also admitted that with regards to how this compares to last year with Byron Scott, he says this is totally different, right? Because Luke is a lot yeah. more transparent and he knows what he's getting into, whereas Byron was like, never really told you the reasoning behind everything, where it seems like at least Luke is communicating to his players his rationale on that given day. If that rationale changes the next day or the next week, he's also going to let them know. So at least that's a good thing. And compared to Byron, who had a very rigid set plan that spanned, you know, five to 10 games at any one point, I like that Luke's willing to experiment and tinker and adapt on the fly and be spontaneous. I just wish, like Tommy said, there would be a little more discretion with regards to doing that and have him be a little more judicious with when he picks and chooses when to do this. So, yeah. And my only thing I was going to add was I just wish there was, he's explained everything, right. Except he hasn't explained why he seems to treat D'Angelo like differently than everybody else. Like yeah. Brandon Ingram, no matter how bad he's playing plays like 30 minutes a game, 30, 38 minutes, dude. <laughs> I know. Or even more, you know, just, but over the course of the season, he's averaging, I mean, he's, he's averaging yeah. probably our most, I imagine. Uh, and it, it just, it's weird, right? Because, you know, Pete will, we, we, we talk about Pete all the time because we like him and he's cool. Uh, he, he'll, tweet, he'll tweet out all these stats all the time. And it's like our team's defensive rankings by position or by player. D'Angelo Russell for his position is, I mean, maybe not surprisingly, but he is actually an above average defender, which to me, when I saw that was shocking. Mm-hmm. For a 21-year-old point guard who people say is unathletic, too unathletic to play that position in the NBA. He is above the 50th percentile in, in defense. Okay. And, and I think that that's the fact that every time he does something a little bit, he's on this weird, like there's no explanation for, again, like Luke will say stuff like, Oh, we've seen, we wanted Brandon BI to be out there because we've seen D'Angelo in the fourth quarter. D'Angelo is 21. Like we haven't seen it's not like he's this seasoned vet like Luol Deng that we just we don't have to blame. We already know what he can do. <laughs> yeah. We kind of still need to see what he can do. 
and he needs to get his in you know get his uh his confidence up and he needs to get his rhythm and part of being a consistent solid you know all-star caliber player is you have to be able to bounce back from games like he had the night before against Philly and be like okay second night of a back-to-back what are you going to show me that's different you know are you going to come out and do the same thing and continue to struggle or are you going to bounce back because that ability to bounce back is what makes is what separates like role players from stars. Like Popovich says this all the time, actually, about Kawhi Leonard. One thing that changed with him recently is <laughs> he trained with Kobe and he got that like Kobe mentality of like when you're down, you just keep going and you don't you're not phased by anything else that's happening and you have to develop that. And D'Angelo, it, to me, it just I mean maybe there's a good reason that we don't know, but it, it feels like he's not getting the opportunity to develop that. Because he, every time he does something bad, he's just, like, benched. Right. And, you know, his post-All-Star stats, and this is including last night's game and the one against Philly, he's averaging 19.3 points, 3.1 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 2.1 steals, 43% shooting, 37% from three. Those are pretty, pretty solid, darn good starter stats. Those are stats. solid. Yeah, those are really yeah. good. Including the two clunkers last night, last night and against Sunday, so... I mean, when Kyrie was 20, 21 years old, look at his shooting percentages. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they've gone up in recent years because of LeBron, and also he's gotten more experience. But my point with that is D'Angelo Russell is a perimeter player. His body is not, like, developed for driving into the lane and taking hits and and finishing and getting free throws and stuff. So his percentage is going to be a little bit lower because he's almost exclusively taking jump shots. So those are really not bad numbers at all. And my thing is... I feel like Luke Walton tries to cover all his bases when he's explaining this to people and he's trying to be too objective that at a certain point he just starts contradicting himself, right? Because in that explanation, he was like, you know, we want to keep his confidence high because he's been playing really well. But you know what? We also want to see Jordan Clarkson do something. Jordan Clarkson's been playing more minutes than D'Angelo Russell the entire season. You know, it's just really strange that sometimes that... He tries to be so, I guess, appeasing to everybody that he just ends up not making sense. Like, yes, you're making correct points, Luke. He has been playing very well. The Philly game was his first clunker in over a month, you know. You want to keep his confidence high because you know it's pretty fragile and you decide to do this for some reason, you know. So I I, I don't know what's going to happen to close this season. We're in for a doozy against the Houston Rockets. Uh, hopefully we can be competitive, but, but yeah, I don't, I really don't know what Luke has up his sleeve. My best case scenario is that it's just D'Angelo and Clarkson to end the season. What about you guys? I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I would like that too. Um, I mean, after talking about all his stats and how he's, how D'Angelo has been playing not to get all whatever, like conspiracy theory, but I feel like there's gotta be something else going on then, you know, like all the evidence, all the evidence is there as to how good of a player he's been. Uh, why else would there be such a short leash for him? Why else does does he get yanked from the starting lineup and things like that? Um, it, it should hopefully be something that we're not seeing. I, I don't think this is a year-long thing because we have to remember that as recently as January, we had Lou Williams, so that made Luke Walton's job tough with regards to giving D'Angelo all the minutes. Obviously, we've had situations where D'Angelo was playing or was hot and Luke yanked him and didn't give him enough fourth quarter minutes. But I don't necessarily think, even though some fans would say this has been a year-long thing, I I don't agree with that. I don't know if you guys do. Tommy, do you agree with that? That it's been a year-long kind of conflict with Luke Walton and D'Angelo? No, yeah, I think your point is exactly right. It's, it's, I'm not going to say it's stupid to say that, but I think it's, it's, 
uninformed to say that because if you were watching the games like we've been watching every single game in this pathetic season um <laughs> lou williams like we talked about many times on this podcast it was you couldn't bench that guy he was playing too well he was putting up like the best numbers of his career he six man of the year candidate and we, it's not like we were playing him 35 minutes a game we were playing him reasonable minutes but enough minutes and enough minutes with d'angelo that d'angelo couldn't really you know, come into his own. So I don't, I wouldn't say this is like a, a season long thing. It's just like for a good solid chunk of the season, Luke was actually trying to win games um, as, as opposed to just blind experimenting. Right. And post all-star, this is evidence to that. D'Angelo Russell has averaged 32 minutes, right? And we've seen a noticeable difference in the fourth quarter where instead of Luke yeah. inserting him at the four minute mark, like he had been, even when Lou was here, He's, he's yeah. he started to insert D'Angelo at the six minute, seven minute mark so he could get more into a flow of things, right? And work his kinks out. Yeah. So it's just really the last two games, I don't know what to make out of it because they were two dumpster fires, especially for D'Angelo. And I guess just because that Denver game was just so eye gougingly bad, I feel like it's just totally putting a haze over our perception of what, whatever the heck is going on. When really, if we think about it, it's just that one game that's really been kind of wonky. We just have to see what happens after and, and one thing, just to add one thing, I feel like something that fans don't take into account, really, is if you're D'Angelo Russell, for example, you played AAU or, you know, whatever you did growing up, um, and you were probably one of the, you were one of the best, if not the best player on your team your entire life. And then you went to Ohio State and you were the best player on your team. And all throughout your first 18 years of playing basketball in your life, you were playing, like, the entire game. You know what I mean? So you were used to, like, okay, I'm not playing that well in the first five minutes of the first half, but I have the entire rest of the game to make up for this because I'm not going to go to the bench. So to go from that to being like, I don't know, inconsistent rotations, I'm playing less than 30 minutes a game out of a 48-minute game, like, I think fans underestimate how much that could take you out of rhythm, just sitting on the bench for like, 30, 45 minutes of real life time while we go through halftime and commercials and all that nonsense. And then to come in and be like, okay, now I'm going to be exactly as effective as mm -hmm. I always am. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's something that NBA players develop over time. Like we, we give so many young guys sl uh, slack on other teams. Like for example, Eric, uh, Aaron Gordon on Orlando, we talk about cause we really like him. Um, None of us really bash that full stats and production so far because he hasn't gotten the right minutes and the right spots to really show us who he is. Mm -hmm. So in the same thing, I think you could apply to D'Angelo Russell. It's not fair to bash him because we don't know. He's not getting the right minutes and the right spots consistently. And when he does, he actually plays very well. So I think it's, it's unfair criticism. You know what, at the end of the day, I think it goes back to, and we've we've alluded to this many, many times in the past, especially his first season, it just goes back to the way he plays and the way he looks out there, you know? Especially when he's missing chippy layups. People are just like, oh my gosh, this is this guy even trying at all? Obviously, right. Sha Shaq Nafool, the Sunday night play where he was like rolling the ball down, don't help him at all. And maybe even the three-pointer he, he hit against Jamal Murray where he tried to do the uh, <laughs> bow and arrow celebration or whatever. That surprised the heck out of me. <laughs> that was really, really you just did that? 
<laughs> and he, he did it like intentionally wonky to like try to mess with Jamal Murray. I mean, Jamal yeah. Murray is kind of obnoxious about that. Oh, totally. Yeah, but it's like I can see how antics like those rub people of who course. already hate the guy the wrong way. Sure, yeah, in yeah, a blowout, sure. you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, so I get it. He does need to work on his maturity level and whatnot. But I do think, again, his play style is just not conducive to people lining up the stats and the way he plays and saying, this guy's a superstar, you know, because yeah, right. they, wa- they want to see him be athletic. They want to see him, like, dunk the ball. I think he had an opportunity in the Denver game to dunk the ball, right? And he wasn't able to. He got it blocked. I think it was Derek Fisher or Shaq said, you got to dunk the ball when you're that wide open. Yeah. It's, it, it just makes it look like he plays lazy out there. So do you want to talk about that, lastly? His style of play, again, is just not, doesn't look good. So even when he's putting up the stats, fans are going to say he's not working hard. He's not hustling. He just doesn't look like he has high upside. So the two things... Sorry, Alan, I'll go first and then I'll, I'll let you. Yeah, I feel like I've been talking this entire time. The two things I wanted <laughs> to say were on that were, for one, he is a developing young player and he's going to get more explosive and quick as his game, you know, and his body develops. We already saw, go watch a full game from like the first quarter of last year and then watch and then compare it to a game this year. It's like night and day. Like, D'Angelo was just, like, he looked like a, like, complete sloth out there, and now he's more so adapting to the speed, and that'll only continue. He's going to even more so adapt to the speed. That's the one thing I'll say. And then the second thing I'll say is James Harden syndrome. You know, like, James Harden, and he, yes, he deserves some of this, but because of the style he plays, I mean, if you've looked at, like, Houston Rockets fan forums before this MVP season, they, like... It was the criticism was going up until this year and even sometimes this year still, you know, just because of the style of his game, he can come across as lazy. And it's just like he plays like a, you know, slow. I I wouldn't call it slow because when he has the ball, he's moving fast. Right. But it's like it almost feels like this old like old man, like not really explosive off the floor game. Like he has like shifty moves, but not like like blow by you speed he gets by you with the moves mostly so when fans are watch that it's like oh man this guy looks like he's playing half speed compared to everybody else out there but that's just what he looks like and like when that is working you have you don't have those same complaints you know what i mean it just when it doesn't work you're gonna sit there and be like oh he's not trying you know that's just how he always plays it's just that you know, would you rather have that or would you rather have Russell Westbrook or Kobe Bryant where when they're not playing well, they're shooting three for 20 and, you know, but they oh, but they look like they're playing really hard. No, it doesn't matter. The production is all that you care about. And like I said, when I saw I'm, to go back to this defensive stat again, because that was so shocking to me, D'Angelo Russell is an above average defender for his position, despite how your supposed eye test, what your supposed eye test might tell you about his effort on that end. He is above average for that position. So Also, he's averaging two steals a game. You know, like that's yeah. defense. I don't care what anybody says, you know, man-on-man position defense is very important, but the fact that this guy has long arms and is able to actually use those arms to get steals and pick off passes is actually very useful. Yeah, we haven't had a guy like that in a long time. I feel like since Kobe in his prime, or maybe like Ariza, I guess, we haven't had a guy who was like getting that many steals for us a game. Right, and I think with the defensive point, I think people like to cap D'Angelo's upside in comparison to guys like Zubats and Ingram because they say, oh, those guys are more two-way players. And I think those things end up shaking out evenly because when it comes to the point guard position, historically, if we're talking the last 20 years, 
which point guards have been defensive stoppers anyways. You know what I mean? Like I know. It's Chris Paul, John Wall, guys like those, but they're few and far between. The rest of the point guards we're talking about who are superstars are Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas, Damian Lillard, Kemba Walker. Guess what? Those guys don't play any defense. I'm sorry. Right. And D'Angelo Russell's taller than all of those guys. So even though he may only end up being a passable defender or what he is now, above average, just because he doesn't quote-unquote play defense or doesn't shake out to be a two-way player in the likes of Brandon Ingram, that doesn't mean his upside is capped. He's he's just frankly playing at a position point guard, which doesn't necessarily need you to be a defensive stopper. The guys who are defensive stoppers at that position, Marcus Smart, Patrick Beverly, don't play offense. You know what I mean? Yeah, defensively, I mean, we want him to be at least passable, and he's clearly that based on uh, statistics. So as far as his offensive game, I was going to bring up the James Harden point as well, that he just doesn't look the same as the other guys. Therefore, people think it's worse. And that's just not the case. It's a very lazy argument to make. Sorry he doesn't have like a 36-inch vert and he doesn't run a whatever, like a 4-2-40 or something like that. It's fine. He's very effective and he's crafty. And you know when he gets defenders on his hip and he pulls up from the mid-range, which he needs to do more, but when he does it, it's extremely effective. When he's running pick and roll with Ibiza Zubots, it looks great. Um he can catch and shoot threes, you know, he can pull up from three. And when he, even when he's finishing in traffic, like he does a good job actually of converting or at least getting contact and getting to the foul line. So again, just because he isn't the fastest guy, his handles aren't the sickest, most flashiest. He doesn't look like Kyrie Irving out there. doesn't mean that he sucks. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just got to look at the numbers and it'll, it'll prove the person otherwise. Whenever we're talking about D'Angelo Russell, it sucks, right? Because he's had what? seven to eight really good games since Lou's been traded, but we're just focusing on these last two games and all of a sudden people are talking about how this guy's trash again. It's just, I, I guess whenever he has a bad game, it's just so glaringly bad. Yeah, had he had he not gotten benched yesterday, people probably wouldn't really be talking about it. I mean, they'd still be laughing about Shaq and a fool, but now we're drawing this connection between the two things. Oh, that's the reason why. And I mean, I, I guess to use our favorite word optically, it could look that way. And is it a coincidence? You know, we don't know. Um... It would be really interesting if he didn't have that shacked in play and then he got benched. Like if he played pretty well the last two nights uh, and then he still got benched, like then what would people say? I have no idea. It's just the sad tale of D'Angelo Russell. He's going to continue to have to fight off this army of haters till he becomes a legitimate superstar you know we're just gonna have to kind of deal with it and to be fair i do think we're all in agreement that he does need to shore up some things with regards to his attitude his mentality because sometimes he just does look he's degaff out there you know i think he loses focus and it's not that he's unfocused he's probably just focused on the wrong things yeah and so if he can like cut down the antics more and just continue to show his improvement and his intensity just through his actions instead of trying to be too cool for school sometimes, I think that would help alleviate all of the haters who continue to point to that and emphasize those points, you know? So I think even during that play, the Shaq and a Fool play, he even tried to blame it on Randall. That was really all on him, you know? So if he can just lessen those, just be quiet. I think he said the right things post-game yesterday when he was saying, I, I just need to play harder. You know, there's no excuses for this. Obviously, it's it's a shake-up and I have to adjust to it. But one thing that I can control is my effort level. Those are the right things to say. He just needs to actually show that. Again, if people can just stop being so subjective with regards to they have to differentiate between his play style and whether or not he's actually giving effort, right? We just need to do a better job of that. So yeah, Tommy, I know you need to go. Is there anything, any last things you need to say? No, I think we covered it. Okay, cool. So with that said, we'll let Tommy go and then Alan and I will riff about 
random stuff. Bye, Bye Tommy. What else? Bye. What else were you guys going to talk about? I might have like five minutes. Oh, okay. So like, let's just talk about quickly about the Denver game and the only bright spot there being uh, Zubats. Uh, what did you think about Zubats last night? Twenty-five points. Obviously, his last fifteen points. I'm not sure if any of us were really watching because it was such a terrible <laughs> game. Um, but yeah, what did you think about Zubats and his post-game comments about him not caring because the Lakers did not win? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to not like Zubats. He's so skilled, like shockingly skilled for a 19 year old and he's not just like an old man game he he can play or sorry i should say old age old era game he can play inside he can shoot jumpers we've seen him take some pretty deep jumpers at this point i mean i'm not gonna say this guy's gonna be shooting threes like next year but he's 19 i you have to figure if his range is already this this far out but it's like at some point in his career he's gonna be able to take and make threes at a not like in the lead clip, maybe, but a decent clip, you know, and that's just going to help us with floor spacing a ton. Um, the one thing I really want to see from him is because I love all the offensive numbers and the rebounds. Those have been great. I want to see better man defense. Uh, his man defense leaves a lot to be desired. I feel like he is getting knocked off balance a lot. That Some of that will be strength training will help, but some of it is he just has to know who he's defending and what they want to do. Like against Okafor. Yeah, like against Okafor. Like, he got those blocks in the beginning of the game, in that Philly game, and he, you could, you could kind of tell that he was feeling pretty good about himself, but then Okafor adapted because he's a very, very solid offensive player. And you know Okafor, what Okafor wants to do. He wants to take it right at you and use his post moves and, and get as close to the rim as possible and then use the soft touch. So you got to like force him to take those jumpers that he doesn't want to take. And you got to know like which ways he wants to go with the, you know, when he makes a move with the ball, he's making a move to score. So you pretty much only have to defend one thing. You're not defending him to pass or do whatever else. So I, those are things that hopefully will come with time. But uh, yeah, I think I saw some defensive numbers and uh Zubats at this stage is doing like considerably worse than Tarek and even Mozgov as a defender. So right. uh, hopefully he shores that up. But yeah, yeah, that'd look great. Yeah. So in March, Ivica Zubats is averaging 14 points, five rebounds, 2.3 blocks on 66% shooting. His per 36s for the year are 17 points, 10 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, and 55% shooting. And actually, with regards to rookies, he is the fourth highest in terms of double doubles. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> What do we think about him starting the rest of the way? And I think it's a great move by Luke to actually just, hey, this guy's going to get the minutes and we'll just see how he looks to end this season. I like it, for sure. Um, Tark Black had a decent amount of games to start um, over the last few weeks or whatever it was, so he had his opportunity. And uh, as far as Ivita goes, I mean, the only way he's going to learn how to become a good defender is by playing more minutes. And if he's starting, he's getting the other team's best center you know, as opposed to someone off the bench. So that's going to help him uh, progress along a solid learning curve. Um, And yeah, as far as defense goes, like, like Tommy was saying, um, once he kind of learns every single player's game in the NBA and who's an actual low post threat, um, it's just a matter of his, his strength training, which is going to happen this season. Remember he literally did zero strength training until this year. So, and you know, when you're playing in Europe, you're probably out on the perimeter guarding guys a lot anyway. So he's not used to someone who's going to really muscle you down low. Um, but again, as far as him starting, he's going to get a lot more experience with that, which is great. And we just got to hope that 
you know, we can see some tangible progress from game to game. He definitely didn't look tired yesterday in Denver, ironically. Um, so his motor seems to be there for sure. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a great move. Um, what did you think about Jordan Clarkson, Tommy? Because I don't want to not mention his amazing game against Philly because it was probably the best of his career in terms of an all-around game because he had 30 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists. He looked like he was playmaking once again, read the floor very well, was very dynamic in terms of all these crazy crafty drives you know he may not seem like it verbally when he actually talks but in terms of the english he puts up when he's doing those lifts it's pretty crazy oh, God. Been- <laughs> how long are you holding that one in <laughs> hey man what you talking about man shoot man hey we're both filipino so i can say that stuff you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, that's fair. so tommy what did you think about jordan clarkson uh yeah clarkson like he looks fantastic I, but this goes back I, i'm gonna tie this back to the d'angelo talk we were having um or the D'Angelo talks that I guess have been ongoing, Clarkson plays so hard that even when he is making objectively horrendous decisions on both <laughs> end, people are going to say that he had a better game because he plays so hard. You know what I mean? And just like you're watching him out there and it looks like he's tr- like working his butt off and like playing yeah. as hard as he possibly can. So I, think like, Shaq, I, guess, I think Shaq said it like three times last night. He's like, this kid plays hard. I like this kid. I like this kid. He plays so hard. I know. But that's, the, that's the dumb thing, right? Because then you look at the numbers and the metrics and Clarkson who has been playing this entire season against bench players mind you is like well below average as a defender you know so it's like what are you going to believe D'Angelo Russell starting against like like NBA starting point guards who it feels like half the teams in the NBA have a all-star point guard on their team yep. and he is is putting up like uh, above average defensive uh, analytic analytics numbers and Clarkson is like well below average against bench shooting guards. Okay, so like and who what bench shooting guards are tearing up the NBA right now besides Lou Williams? Okay, and Eric Gordon. So it's it's just like that. I, as much as I really like Clarkson, that kind of stuff has to be you know he ha- really has to work on that stuff if he wants a long term spot in the league. Like if he wants to be a bench player forever, fine, maybe he can get away with it. Uh, but these are the types of things that I hope Luke and everybody in the front office is really looking at because, and I'm sure they are now because they're, you know, having very, it's not like, it's like you said, it's not like these guys were drafted by any of our new front office guys. So they're, they're taking a very, you know, I don't think they're going to make any rash decisions, but I think they're going to be more inclined to make moves than, than our old front office who was just like, let's sit on our hands and, and see what we have. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Clarkson's fantastic game, but we lost the game, and the next game he was a starter, and we looked like horrendous, and, yeah. you know, you could look at all the numbers, and no matter how poorly D'Angelo plays individually, when he is starting, we play as a team much, much better. Yeah, we are, on average, uh, we only lose by four points when D'Angelo starts. When D'Angelo doesn't start, we lose by 15 points. Shout out to Pete once again at Laker Film Room. <laughs> yeah, see, these are like, you know, it's like I'm one who, you know, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm in the oh, all-the-way analytics movement because I think some anal- like some advanced stats are a little bit ridiculous in my opinion, but these are like just, you can't dispute those numbers. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so... I don't know. It. I. I really liked what I saw from Clarkson, and I really like really what I've seen since we traded Lou. It seems like he's stepping into his sixth man role, like and really like embracing it. Uh, he's looked as good as he's looked all year, but I just don't think that Jordan Clarkson 
and hopefully he proves me wrong. I don't think he's an NBA starter. Uh, right. And that's something that Luke and all these guys need to figure out because they need to see, like, okay, well, again, I, we, I, we keep going back to the draft. If we end up drafting a guard, what are we going to do with Clarkson? Are we going to keep him as a bench guy? Are we going to start him at the two? And, you know, we get Josh Jackson, start him at the three. Like, are we? do we even want to start a guard, draft a guard if Clarkson's so good? You know, like, these are all things you have to – you have to figure out. Well, that's why I think they should end the season by starting both of them and even just do a, like yeah. a mock trial of what no, is sure, to yeah. come when we do draft a guard because, you know, Clarkson's like not, obviously not a point guard, but he can handle the ball and D'Angelo wants to learn to be more of an off guard. He said he wants more off guard opportunities, right? And if we draft Fultz, if we draft Lonzo Ball, that's exactly what's going to happen. So if we can mock trial the two to end, a se- end the season, that would be the most uh, beneficial and opportune thing to do. And... You know, like you said, the point guard experiment last night did not work. I think what I did like out of Clarkson in the Philly game was his relentlessness in terms of driving and getting to the foul line. He shot 10 for 11 from the free throw line. And again, it goes back to his shooting. I I mean, not sorry, not his shooting per se, but that's actually been his worst thing in terms of shooting threes. But his finishing in the lane, his craftiness, the way he's been able to contort his body and put English on the ball, I think that's been very impressive. And he is clearly our best driver on the team, right? You know, in terms of crossing people over, taking it straight into the lane. It's just you hope that his decision making would be better and then obviously the analytics don't work well so far whenever D'Angelo and Clarkson have been on the floor but I also don't think they've had enough opportunities together to really see how that actually shakes out you know what I mean so Alan do you have anything anything to say with regards to Jordan Clarkson uh no I I mean I agree with everything I would really like to see him and D'Angelo out there together um yeah, he just needs to be more consistent because he'll have these games where uh, he is very assertive and he's decisive and he's under control. And then the next time uh, he's going to dribble himself into trouble and he's going to try to do too much. Uh, so hopefully he just finds like the, the perfect balance uh, of those things. And I mean, I think he can he can gain some of that control. Um, but out of a sample of like 10 games, it'll probably be like, six good ones, maybe seven, you know, and then three of those are going to be kind of a wash. So just realistically, that's where I'm pitting it. And uh, if I'm looking at D'Angelo in a sample of 10 games, my guess is he's going to perform better (laughs) than that. Sure. And um, since the all-star break as well, Jordan Clarkson is averaging 19 points, 2.9 rebounds, 3.6 assists, 1.2 steals on 45% shooting, 27% from three. So outside of the three-point percentage, he's done really, really well for himself since Lou Will has been traded, as we anticipated. Uh, Tommy, before we let you go, rapid fire, your thoughts on Brandon Ingram. Uh, I think Brandon Ingram is is being like criminally underrated by all these people talking about how weak this rookie class is. Like he has not had like an overall amazing season, but in the last few, in the, it feels like in the last month, uh, he's been, and I'm talking about like February and and March really. He's been playing really really good basketball in my opinion. He's not super aggressive, and he's not super strong, so it's not like he's going to average 20 points a game, but. His efficiency numbers are great. I think the last like five games, I was looking at this earlier. He's mm-hmm. he's averaging like fourteen a game and like shooting over fifty percent and uh, getting rebounds and getting blocks and steals, and he's kind of showing us the whole package. Um, yeah, I mean, Brandon Ingram is younger than many guys. You know, we, when we take a guy in the top, assuming we keep our pick, if we select a guy in the top three this year. 
unless it's Fultz, there's a good chance he's going to be the same age or, or uh, older than Brandon Ingram. So Brandon Ingram is extremely, extremely young and raw still, and I think he is coming into his own finally. We're starting to see signs and uh, more flashes. And, uh, yeah, somebody tweeted, I think maybe it was Medina, or somebody tweeted today a uh, picture inside the Lakers locker room where they're tracking everybody's weight. And oh, Brandon yeah. Ingram weighs 189 pounds. Eesh. Like, what is that, dude? <laughs> you know, this guy is- 6'9 with a 7'3 wingspan, and he weighs 189 pounds. It is absurd. So once he starts to uh, grow into his body a little bit and, and really start to understand his length, I think he's going to make like a, a big leap next year for sure. Even having said that, he's been jamming down ferocious dunks on Alex Len, taking it to guys in the oh, league. Yeah. I think the biggest difference with him these last few weeks is that he has been aggressive in fact it's his three-point shot that has betrayed him and he hasn't even hit a three right. the last three games but he's still shooting above 50 percent because he has been relentlessly driving it to the basket being aggressive hitting turnaround jump shots whenever the opportunity allows him to against smaller guards and the biggest thing is he his length allows him to contort his body in such strange ways that he can still yeah. finish it, you know? And we've yeah. seen that on the fast break where he gets the rebound and takes it all the way down. And then it doesn't matter whether his the lower part of his body is under the basket. His arm just stretches and puts it in, you know? So I think those types of plays, like he said, he's finally figuring out just how long he is and what he can do with his arms. And we see that, you know, right before our eyes in terms of the his ability to finish, you know, and he doesn't have any strength. He doesn't have any bulk, but because his arms are so deceptively long, he's able to still flip it up there, even getting some and one layups. You know what I mean? So I think that's been the most impressive part for me from Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I really like that. He's been taking it into the post a lot and um, recognizing when he has a, a size mismatch and, um, there's even that one play against Philadelphia where Nick Stauskas was guarding him and Nick Stauskas is definitely shorter than Brandon, but it's not like he's a six, three guard or anything. Stauskas is like six, six or so. And Brandon still had that turnaround J over him on the baseline. So it's all about mentality for him. If you give him the directive of look, man, if you see an opportunity for yourself, you just have to take it. And it might be kind of an isolation play and there might not be any motion happening, but look, man, like. That's why we brought you here. This is what we're hoping you're going to do. And uh, once he decides in his own mind, okay, I'm going to do it, regardless of whether I make this shot or not, um, I, I think the sky is is high for him. The sky is the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan would say. Ceiling is the roof, baby. Roof is the ceiling. <laughs> Goat. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Brandon Ingram is averaging around 14 points, four rebounds, three assists since the All-Star break, pretty much. And uh, yeah, it's continu- It's a continued work in progress for Brandon Ingram, but he's definitely showing the flashes. And it's been very encouraging to see him be more aggressive. And against Denver, he actually had his mid-range game going, which we haven't seen Oh, man, too much those of. jumpers were looking sweet, too. When he they was doing wet, those, like... Yeah. Yeah, those little, like, shimmy dribbles on the perimeter and then just take, like, stop on it and just take the shot. Like, I feel like we haven't really seen that that much this nope. year. Every shot nope. he's taken has been, like, a set shot. Um, or a turnaround shot. Or, like, a turnaround, yeah, post shot or, or like, driving something, like, flip something up, but not, like, <laughs> oh, let me take you off the dribble and just shoot a jumper in your face. That was, <laughs> Again, that was to, to, to Shaq's credit, he said, 
after one of those misses, he goes, oh, that's not his game. And then he proceeded to hit like three more. <laughs> I know. I totally noticed that too, dude, because it's so funny watching these and we games. we love Shaq, but you know. No, we love Shaq, but like Reggie Miller, it's, it's like yeah. so obvious who has no idea about any of these guys. Like Shaq and Reggie Miller both talk, if you... It, if you watch them call Laker games, they both talk about Brandon Ingram. Like he is a developing power forward. And like <laughs> he's a low post player who is like developing his perimeter game. It's like, did you watch this guy play at Duke at all? Like, what are you talking about? And then they, sometimes they call Russell Randall and Randall Russell. These guys have no idea who's on this team, dude. Thank God Derek Fisher was there last night to kind of offset the uh, ineptitude, I guess, and lack of insider knowledge. But with that said, I think that'll do it in terms of just our recap of the game and what's going on in Lakers land, regardless of how eye-gougingly bad it is. I think to close the season, it's going to be pretty much how it has been the last two weeks with regards to there's going to be one super flash the progress game like Charlotte or Phoenix and then the next two or three games is going to be utter crap just because they're young they're inconsistent and at this point Luke is uh, piling onto that by being extra mad scientist-y so there you go (laughs) all right Tommy we'll let you go okay later bye This is what flow from Progressive sounds like in one of our many hilarious commercials. Hi, did you know that you can get a quote on your motorcycle insurance in under three minutes at Progressive.com? And did you know that saying hi makes even bad news sound good? Hi, you have high cholesterol. Hi, you're fine. And this is what that same commercial sounds like on your motorcycle. Hi, there's no more even our commercials sound better on a bike. And with basic policy starting at $75 a year, Progressive helps keep you on yours. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Annual premium for basic liability policy not available in all states. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at LittletonCoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at LittletonCoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.